0: Well, uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Julian and I'm on the leadership team here at Christchurch. And uh, it's uh, lovely to talk to you this morning on this beautiful day. And uh, we're going to be talking about contentment. I'll leave it at contentment. The, uh, The caption says the rest. Is it possible? Well, when you have a lovely day like today, you know, you think, well, yeah, maybe it is. But we're nearing the end of our series in the book of Philippians. And while today's passage is a short one of just four verses, um, I believe it is one of the most challenging in Scripture. It kicks off with a nice little thank you note to the Philippian church to whom Paul is writing. But then it progresses into a general reflection on Paul's life and a challenge to us who follow him. And then it finishes with one of the great truths of the Christian faith. So I'm going to take this uh, in two parts. First, we'll look at the context and situation Paul was writing and see what he was saying. Then I'm going to explore what it means for us to be content in this time and place. And I'll share some personal reflections and Holy Spirit insights, which I hope you'll find helpful. So, uh, Paul very kindly said uh, uh, the number in the uh, passage in the Bible. Uh, what, what page was it again? 1181. 1181. If, if you do want to have that handy, because those, those, those verses won't appear on the screen, but um, anything else I share will do. So, where are we in the story well, Paul's situation was that he was under Roman imprisonment. We're told a palace guard. But that he was free to have friends come and go and see to his needs. Where exactly he was in the Roman world is now under some debate because of the time scales it took people to travel. The original thought was he was in Rome. But now Ephesus or even Caesarea have been put forward as possibilities. And the University of Stanford has come up with an app that calculates travel in the ancient world with a number of variables. So from Philippi to Rome, it could take between 42 and 59 days depending on what time of year you were travelling, how wealthy you were, and what modes of transport you took. But it does sort of give us an idea of of time and travel in that part of the world in that time. Well, why is this important to the passage? Well, for the Philippians to have sent Epaphroditus with gifts from the church to Paul meant an investment in time and effort to get it to him. There was no stewardship giving or online platforms like Just Giving, where boom, oh, it's done. Much of what he said in his letter then is quite specific to this. He expressed his thanks to the church for its generous concern, which they could only do now. And that infers that previously they were unable to or the actual logistics of getting a gift to him were too extreme. Verse 10 says this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but had no opportunity to show it. So having thanked them, Paul then says in verse 11 something quite strange. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. It looked like Paul was saying, thanks, but actually I'm not in need. But that's not what's going on here. In this culture, it was essential to express gratitude to benefactors. And what Paul wanted to emphasise was that he was not dependent on the church's donations, which might compromise his ability to speak frankly, especially to them. It's very difficult to tell somebody who's given you money that actually they need to clean their act up, for example, as he does in many of his letters. He was expressing gratitude without implying that he sought further gifts, since asking for money would have placed him in a subordinate position to the Philippians. That's how it was then. So then, having dealt with the customary niceties of the time and clarifying his position, Paul then uses this opportunity to give his listeners a bit of perspective on being content. Verse 12. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What does being content mean? Well, the dictionary states that contentment is a feeling of being happy or satisfied with what you have. It's an acceptance of your current circumstances. In a Christian content context, sorry, being content is accepting you are where God wants you to be. It is this knowledge that Paul knows he is where he is meant to be, where God wants him to be, that gives him the opportunity for contentment. And he has learned this knowledge in his walk with Jesus. But contentment is not something that Paul could achieve just by knowing. He has had to decide to accept his circumstances. Well, if you read the various uh, letters and if you read Acts, you may say, is Paul some kind of superhuman? Is he really content to be hungry or in want or in prison or shipwrecked or many of the other Dangerous things that happen to him. Then Paul says in verse 13 this, I can do all this through him who strengthens me. He's saying, whatever the situation, good or bad, he can accept his circumstances and find contentment knowing he is where God wants him to be, not in his own strength, but because he is called on him who strengthens me. The him he is referring to is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who strengthens him so he can find contentment, whether things are amazing or bleak. Paul is human after all. And he knows that he cannot be content without the Holy Spirit. Well, knowing you are where God wants you to to be does not necessarily make you content then. Neither does knowing that you are doing what God wants you to do. Because when all is going well, contentment is instinctive. But when things start running off the rails, then contentment vanishes. Even though you are exactly where you are meant to be and doing what you're meant to be doing. Paul's perspective is simply that he can accept his circumstances. If he is walking in faith with the Holy Spirit, then contentment is the natural byproduct from the strength of that relationship. He is content because of that relationship and the knowledge that he is where he should be, doing what he should be doing. So let's just take a minute. That's Paul. Just turn to the person next to you and ask the question, are you content... Okay, it's all right, you don't have to convince your neighbour you're content. <laughs> and, and I imagine there were levels of contentment or discontent, possibly. You see, for some of us, we are where God wants us to be and walking in the daily closeness with him by his spirit, just like Paul. But that's not the case for all of us. Our level of contentment is an indicator in what our daily walk with Jesus looks like. Plus, there are forces that seek to deprive us of the contentment found in Jesus. It could be our own selfishness. Or pressures from the world, events going on. Or the devil. So I'm going to share some insights which I hope will Help us get to and maintain a level of contentment and recognize what we can do if we are discontent. And I divided these into three action points. The first is a reality check, and that exposes what is my, my discomfort or my discontent. The second is the soul audit. Where am I with God? And the third is a response. What can be done? So let's start with the reality check. Why do we need a reality check? Well, it's important to see things clearly. In other words, as they really are. Pain, emotions, etc. can cloud our minds and our hearts. So we need to see things in reality, we need to see them as God sees them. And how do we do that? Well, I suggest we ask three questions. Am I content? Is there something I'm doing or where I am doing it that is causing me discontent? And do I really have cause to be discontented? Well I shared last Sunday that petrol in Malawi had gone up 41% overnight and then I read a news story this week, uh, although events have now overtaken that, that Sri Lanka had literally run out of petrol and there was barely enough to keep the emergency services going. The next delivery in that country is in 10 days but there's not enough money to pay for future fuel and crude oil imports. Private car usage has been banned for a fortnight. Food supplies have been impacted, with prices running at an inflation rate of 80%. And as we've heard on the news last night, the government has quit, or been overthrown. And yet I moan if there's a rush on toilet rolls at the supermarket, or have to queue to get petrol. You see, being content in external or physical things means keeping a realistic perspective on them. A first world problem is something that is complained about in response to the perceived absence of more pressing concerns such as starvation, survival, life-threatening events, etc. Being reminded Of the third world problems that some of our brave mission partners were encountering last week, if those of you at the mission Sunday service, and yet they were seeking to contend with those and still make a difference, was greatly encouraging. Praise God for those men and women called to those difficult assignments. And it made me look. At the list of things that discontent me and make me want to take a red marker and strike them through because of their triviality. By the way, here's the list. I apologize if you appear on that list, they're not in any order. And I'm sure we all have lists like that. (laughs) Now, there may be somebody here who would say that I don't know what they're really going through. And that they're really going through some serious stuff. And you're right, I don't know. And it's not my purpose to trivialise anything anyone is dealing with what I'm trying to do is give us some tools that will help us look at our circumstances in the cold light of day, clearly and calmly, without the emotions we had at the time it happened, or in the regret or shame that we may still feel. And the best way we can do this is to replay those things in your mind, but ask the Holy Spirit to what? When I do that, I find I get remarkable clarity. Usually I hear the word, really? If it's a genuine issue of concern, though, then I find the Holy Spirit leads me in prayer about it. So that leads me on to our next thing, which is a soul audit. Now, why do I need to take an audit of my soul? Well, I, for one, can be further from God in my times of leisure and contentment than in times of trouble. Now, that may be different for you. You see, so I could easily breeze past the reality check because on the surface, nothing appears wrong. But when my day-to-day walk with God is patchy, and trouble turns up at my door, my ability to contend with discontentment is greatly diminished because I'm not living and walking in the strength of the Holy Spirit. So taking an audit of where we are can identify things that are not immediately obvious. And it also flags up something in our relationship with God that could have become a barrier. And all God wants to do Is help us resolve it so we can get back to walking together. So the soul audit. And this is not exclusive, you could add your own to this. But I very much felt God say these things. Does God feel close or far away? Is there an anxiety or fear that I need to lay at the foot of the cross? Is there something I need to repent of? Is there anyone I need to forgive? Am I under spiritual attack? And do I see clearly how much God loves me? If you ask the Holy Spirit to bring any issues to your mind it could be that he brings a question not on this list. But I would say that usually soul issues fall under one of these. And what you're trying to do is discern the underlying issue to your discontentment. Because the physical things that you can identify are usually just symptoms of something deeper. Our soul audit should then lead to a response and i've called it that because it's a response from god through his spirit that will require a response from you so the first thing is ministry allow god to minister to you by his spirit and that means being still It means opening our hearts and minds. If it helps, say something like, I welcome you, Holy Spirit. And this just allows the presence of the Holy Spirit to start that work in you. Next step could be prayer. There may be specific prayers the Spirit wants you to pray. They'll usually come to the forefront of your mind when this is going on. And a good place to start, if nothing does come, is just to start thanking God for what He has done for you. But then, if you feel anxious, pray for peace. If you need to say sorry, then pray that. If you need to forgive someone, pray that prayer, and so on. Then we have the Word of God. Open your Bible. There may be specific scriptures that the Spirit wants to reveal to you. Maybe nothing comes straight away. Well, one thing I would recommend, become a student of the Psalms. If you don't know what to read, start reading the Psalms because every human complaint and condition can be found in the Psalms and I find myself reading them more and more. Listen to this psalm of David, Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And so on. But then, having poured out his complaint, what happens in verses 5 and 6? But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. At times, David comes across as one of the most discontented people in the Bible. He's written enough of the Psalms. His inner struggles that are written there in black and white contain the same things we face today fear, anxiety, sorrow, attack, an absence of God, and so on. He had access to God's spirit and was able to take a reality check and an audit of his relationship with God. And the result, usually by the time you get to the end of the psalm, is that he had a clearer picture of God and his promises and that led, led him naturally to praise. Which brings me very nicely on to praise. It says in Isaiah 61 verse 3, God will bestow on us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Who, when they're in the thick of it, really feels like singing? Well, that's what the Bible says Do. Turning to praise is a powerful way to change the situation. Play or sing some worship songs that bring you closer to God and allow his spirit to well up inside of you. I can testify to this. Very recently, Carol and I have been going through some minor health challenges these past weeks. And I felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit to put on the garment of praise. And in the first song I listened to, there was this line. It might look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It was as if it had come straight out of the Psalms. In fact, Psalm 31, verse 21 says this, Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. I carried on praising. When I woke in the morning, all the pain of that sort of four or five weeks, the anxiety, the frustration had vanished. I had a little twinge in my knee, but that was about it. And the thing is, it's remained gone this past week. When God ministers ministers to us by His Spirit, through our prayers, through His Word, and through our praise, then things change. It doesn't necessarily mean that our external circumstances have changed but our head, heart and soul have, because we're now aligned with the Spirit. In my case, there was a remarkable change. And all of this should lead us to the final point, which is acceptance. We have to get to acceptance so we can say, I am content in every situation through him who strengthens me. That's what Paul says. Well, now that we're retired, Carol and I, we seem to feel more of um, our children's woes. Simon and our Jennifer, they're both grown up. Some of you will know them. We seem to feel more of their woes than before. They say that you live your lives again through your kids. Well, both have always had jobs, but sometimes that's been a struggle. They both caught the mission bug as teenagers, so we thought one of them would work in the charitable sector. So no surprise when Jenny worked for several charities after she finished uni. Simon, who'd done Saturday shifts on the Sunday, Sunday Times, decided to not go into newspapers like his old man, but decided to become a history teacher. Even better, he's living my dream. But then it all changed. Jenny retrained to be a journalist. And with a warning from me, went into the very profession of publishing that I had extricated myself from. Simon... Meanwhile, met Miriam. They decided to get married and he quit his job as a history teacher to go into mission training with all nations. Then COVID hit. Both Carol and I officially retired, but our children's vocation trajectory remained on track, not necessarily adding to our levels of contentment. Well, to cut a long story short, After several poor experiences, Jenny is now working on The Sun Online. The irony being that that was the online newspaper that I launched for Mr Murdoch in 1999. How did that happen? She's thoroughly enjoying it, being happily married to Mark. Simon and Miriam, and a new addition to the family, Sienna, our first grandchild, we'll be heading to Madagascar this January for two to three years. They are where God wants them to be. And I know that. But that doesn't really make me be content because of the challenges That they'll face down both those paths. There's some tough assignments there. And as a parent, I'm living that with them. So there never has been more of a need to accept every day that I am content. In every situation, through Him who strengthens me. I'll finish with this point. It's all about trust. Are we going to trust Jesus, whatever our circumstances? Are we going to trust that God's plan for our lives is perfect for each one of us and that we need to get with that plan? And when we start to walk down that path of discontent, are we going to abide in the strength of the Holy Spirit so that we can be content? Well, I don't know how many of you want to do this this morning. But I'm going to ask this anyway. Who is willing to stand with me and make this statement? Please don't feel any pressure to do this. But I'm going to say these words. If you'd like to stand with me, say them together with me and mean them. I am content in every situation. I know some days are going to be tougher than others. But I can do this through him who strengthens me. Amen.